0: Our podcast has been rated in the top one half percent of all podcasts in the world by listennotes.com. So you know your message will be heard. Now, here is your host with today's interview, Pastor Bob Thibodeau.
1: Hello, everyone, everywhere. Pastor Robert Thibodeau here. Welcome to the Kingdom Crossroads podcast today. We're so blessed that you're joining us. You know, the COVID lockdowns significantly impact the we'll just say the grade level of students across the board, but one aspect of the student population was impacted severely, and that was the special needs children. Now, my guest today has been working with special needs children for over 25 years. Today is part two of a fabulous interview that we did with Shelly Cano. Now, Shelly is the author of Those Who Can't Teach, True Stories of Special Needs Families to Promote Acceptance, Inclusion, and Empathy. And folks, if you missed part one, you need to go back and catch up. Just go to the preceding interview and listen to that one. She covers so much information. I just don't have time to go back over it today. But I'm telling you right now, this interview is impactful. You need to share this throughout the education community. You know, If you're a teacher, you need to listen to it. Have your special needs uh, instructors listen to it. If you're in the special needs education field, you need to to go back and listen to it and share it amongst your peers because her book is going to change the dynamics. I'm telling you right now, this is an awesome book. Even if you're not in the education field, you need to get this book. If you know someone who has a special needs child, you need to get this book. It's just so impactful. Matter of fact, Shelly's been contacted by so many teachers saying, where have you been? This book is awesome. Why didn't you write this earlier? Things like that. Amen. Well, let's jump back into the interview now with Shelly Cano. How has this method of integration helped improve their ability to integrate into society as a whole? Like after school's. You know, so I think
2: we're seeing, yeah, I, I think we're seeing a much better population of our students who learn differently in the workforce and in life, you know, just being successful. And honestly, many times I think when people think about people with special needs, um, they're thinking about those visible disabilities more so than those invisible ones. Some of our greatest inventors, um, some of our biggest Celebrity names are people with ADHD or learning disabilities, and within the category of learning disabilities is dyslexia and dysgraphia and dyscalculia. Dyscalculia. I can hardly ever say that word correctly. Um, and so we we tend not to realize that a, a huge population of people have those invisible disabilities because they have found ways to fit in to society. Um, and and use their differences as strength. Um, there are like I said, there are so many celebrities and, and um, like they think Albert Einstein had ADHD or possibly autism. Um, the uh, now I, I have like pictures of them in my head and I can't think of any of their names right now. But um, I do a post every so often in my social media about <clears throat> excuse me. The fact that, you know, these people and they're all celebrities, all names that everybody knows have a specific learning disability, have dyslexia, and they are incredibly successful. Um, Steve Jobs, I believe they, they say has ADHD or a specific learning disability. Bill Gates. Um, and, and so they're, those who have these eligibilities for special education are being integrated all the time into society now, although the population of unemployment um is still like three times higher than those who don't have any kind of eligibility for special education. Um, I think it's like an eight percent on average. And so we still need to work, but I think typically that's more of the visible disabilities that tend not to have the employment um but it's, it's something that needs to be worked on and, and we are getting better. Um, there's transition programs to help kids by the time they're in high school, they start doing, uh, transition programming into their IEP to help them find the resources, find the, um, um, companies that are special education friendly, um, Amen. that, yeah. um, you know, there's, there's an actual whole organization that I had on my podcast called Mentra, and it's kind of like LinkedIn for people who mm. have disabilities. Really?
1: Okay. Um,
2: and wow. so, yeah. And so, um, they're able to find jobs all over the country now, not oh, just man. in necessarily their own hometown. Um, you know, they're able to get jobs elsewhere and, and because they're being paired up with companies and individuals who, as I said, are special education friendly.
1: Yeah. Amen. Amen. That's awesome. I didn't even know that. That's good.
2: Yeah. They were my 100th episode of my podcast. It was really Praise exciting.
1: Amen, <laughs> yeah, amen. Yeah. Amen. So why did you write this book, Those Who Can't Teach, and why did you feel it was needed now?
2: Uh, well, as I mentioned a few minutes ago, God told me to write the book. And once I recognized God's still small voice, I tried to listen and do whatever he tells me. Um, writing a book was not something that I had ever thought about doing, but he expressed to me that the stories of the people that I knew from teaching and my friends and my family who had someone in them with a disability, um, their stories were absolutely worth telling. And they were beautiful stories. And they, I felt, would bust that stigma of, oh, you you can't. Um, you're never going to you won't. Your family isn't. Um, and that's also where the title comes from, those who can't. We each pause on that word. It's in quotation marks. And the reason for that title is also God. Um, I was laying in bed and I was praying about it one night and I had a completely different title and I don't even remember what it was. <laughs> um, and he, I remember him asking me, why don't you like that saying, those who can do Those who can't teach. No teacher likes that saying. I've never met one who does. And I answered, I said, Well, because it always makes me feel less than, you know, as a teacher, my occupation is somehow less than all the other occupations. Because, well, if I couldn't do anything else, I went into teaching. And he said, That's how the families and the individuals in your book feel. And I went, Oh, wow. And he says, but what did you learn from teaching and working with your students and your families? Just like teachers, if we open ourselves up, we can learn so much. It's not academics. It's character. It's unconditional love. It's tenacity. It's perseverance. Um, it's finding joy in every part of life. So at the end of every chapter, I write the things that I learned from the individual and or their family. And that's what I'm hoping, you know, I've done book studies with dozens of teachers now since the book has come out. And that's the first question I asked them. What did you think when you saw this title? Why would a teacher title a book with that phrase? And then I explained to them what my reason was having the title that it is. And, um, I've had all, every teacher that has done the book study with me and every teacher who has read the book and commented back to me that they would 100% recommend it to their colleagues because it does give a different perspective. When we go through our education, we learn about reading, we learn about writing, we learn about math, we learn about behaviors, we learn about the pedagogy. We learn about the great philosophers who came up with all of this stuff. We learn teaching strategies. Did you ever in all of those things that I just mentioned here that we learn about the individual or their parent and what their life is like? No, but that's what this book does. There are nine different stories. It's 10 chapters. The first is a more expansive version of what I shared about myself earlier. And then the other nine chapters are those individual stories of those individual families or the person themselves. I have a few chapters where the person with the eligibility for special education was willing and able to share their story with me.
1: Amen. Amen. So you worked with or know every family that's in the book. Yes. Right.
2: Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And they they were initially,
1: how did they initially respond when you approach them about telling their story in the book?
2: Some of them were hesitant. Others of them were honored that I would even think that their story would be worth telling, which was baffling to me. And others were, okay, absolutely, let's do it. Every one of them were very honest and very raw. And I thought having been in special education for so long and having known some of these families forever seemed, um, there's there's one young lady in here that I taught her for 10 years, um, all the way from preschool through eighth grade. So I'm in a very small community, and so we just have one school for all of those grades. I thought I had a really good understanding of what their lives were like because they they were sharing things that were happening outside of school, all the medical appointments, all the func- family functions, all the social um, activities that they were involved in. And then I interviewed them for the book and I found out that I really only had about a thimble full of knowledge of oh. what it really is like every day, every minute of every day. As as one of the moms told me, when you get that, when your child gets a diagnosis and her particular child did, um, born with it, it's an every minute, every second of every day for the rest of your life or that child's life diagnosis. It's not, oh, you have pneumonia and it's going to get better in a few months. It's every second of every minute of every day, 365 for a lifetime. And I never really thought about that. You know, I, I taught the students or I interacted with the families and then they left. And I didn't deal with it anymore. But that individual and in that family is dealing with it every minute, every second Perfect. of every day. Amen.
1: Amen. I know I read that many special needs teachers wish you would have written this book sooner. Yes. <laughs> how how is that how has the publication of your book, Those Who Can't Teach, impacted the teachers?
2: It's doing a beautiful thing. Um, it is giving them that enlightenment. And I have, have now started promoting it to colleges and universities to try to make it as supplemental reading for those who are honestly going into the medical profession, the teaching profession, um, the social work profession, because yes, it's great for teachers, but honestly, anybody, as we mentioned before, we have these inclusive companies now where, you know, your coworker could have Dyslexia, or ADHD, or an intellectual disability, and reading this book will help you have a better understanding of what their life is like. And so that comment of "I wished I'd had this sooner" um, spurred me to start reaching out more to the at the university level and and getting it into these colleges. I haven't found one yet who's one hundred percent taken it in and said, "Yes, this is going to be part of our curriculum." But I've got them thinking about it.
1: Amen. Amen. Has has the book resulted in any type of improvements in the children's educational processes that you know of yet?
2: In the mindset of the teachers that have read the book, they have talked about how they're more empathetic towards the families. And because they have a better understanding now, they have changed their expectations to match more realistic expectations. The book hasn't been out long enough to really have any long-term changes that I'm aware of. Um, It's only been out a a couple of years. Um, But I know that if a teacher's mindset changes, that's going to change what's happening into the classroom. And oftentimes, it is that social-emotional piece that changes the academic piece more than anything else.
1: Yeah, amen, amen. During your tenure and and during the writing of this book, how has this affected your faith in God and, and your faith in man?
2: Well, um, the writing of the book it was a three year process from the moment he gave me the idea until the moment it went live on Amazon. Just that amount of time was not what I expected when I was writing the book. I thought, oh, okay, you know, I wrote my chapter in a day. And I thought, oh, well, this is going to be easy. You know, Boy, was I wrong? Um, Just the interviews. I mean, I interviewed some of the families three, four times. And each time would be, you know, an hour or more. And then having to, excuse me, basically transcribe, but put it into story form, what the interview was about. Um, And they are 100% true stories. The only thing I did is that several of the families did not want to be known. And so, you know, I've changed... Some details of, you know, instead of a particular name of a hospital, I gave it a different name or a name of a town. I gave it a different name. But I mean, other than those kind of details, everything about everything in the book is 100% true. Um, learning to lean on God in those moments when I didn't trust that this was going to do anything. I didn't trust that this was ever going to get done. Yeah. Um, and, and really just putting it back at his feet and saying, okay, you told me to do this. How do I do this? You know, give me the motivation to sit down and write today. Because there would be times where I would write every single day or edit or do, you know, whatever. And then there would be times where I'm like, I just, I can't, I don't have it. I don't feel it. And I could go a, a few weeks um, mm-hmm. without doing something. Mm-hmm. But then he put, when it was time to have a, an official editor, he put that person in my path. I had no idea where to look. I was talking to someone about, you know, that I was to that point and she said, well, I know someone who just left the military, retired from the military, was a, um, I didn't call it an editor, but that basic position in the military. So had done it for 20 years and she's going to start her own business now. Oh, amen. And she's a amen. Christian and she has a child with autism. Check, mm. check, check, check. I, I mean, yeah. okay, Lord. You, you place that person in my lap. Then when it was time to do the publishing of the book, I am self published, but I didn't really know the whole process to do all of that. Yes, I could have learned it. Yes, I could have muddled through it myself, probably. But again, I was talking to someone and they said, Oh, well, you know, here's some people that you could reach out to. And they gave me a whole list of people. The first person I reached out to seemed like I just connected with this person and they, were you know in my local area uh well they were in st louis missouri i'm on the illinois side um in southern illinois and i thought this is it come to find out later they are also christians and you know it's just he's just lined everything up and so my faith expanded because when he gives you something you got to trust him (laughs) That yeah. He's going Amen. to provide everything yeah. that you need to accomplish what he's given you to do. Yeah. And I still do that today with okay Lord, you know this is your book. Yes, it's got my name as the author, but this is his book. Yeah. He gave it to me, he gave me the title, he gave me the idea. He gave me every family that is in the book. They were the first families that I asked. I didn't have to search over you know Hill and Dale to find. People to be in the book, and I even had about seven more families lined up to do a "Those Who Can't Teach Too," um, but he hasn't led me to write that version, so I haven't done anything else with those families. But um, he's he's just really opened it up, um, getting it out there. You know, anytime I feel like, okay, I guess this is done. I'm like, nope, nope, this is yours, Lord. What do you want to do with it? I I surrender it. My word for 2023 has been surrender. And I have (laughs) surrendered the book and surrendered the outcomes and surrendered the changes and surrendered the income that may come out of it all back to him because it's his.
1: Yeah. And
2: when I, you know, one of the things that I do with the proceeds of the book is it helps offset my costs to families who need my services, but can't afford them Hmm. many, many times families with children who um, have special education needs also have medical needs. And those medical needs are extremely expensive. Yeah. Um, I just read about a, a lady who she had to quit her job because her child needs 24 hours a day care and it's summertime. And she had a person who was helping her, but there, uh, the company that she was using is short staffed. And so Even though she hired them, they're not able to do what they promised her. And so she's had to take off work constantly because she's a single mom. So this is a person who, you know, their child has an IEP and they would absolutely love to have my services and help them get the appropriate IEP written for their child, but they can't afford my services because they have all these other expenses. And I understand that. And so a lot of the proceeds from the book do that so that I can provide a lot of free sources and and yeah. free help to people. Amen. Go so buy the book.
1: Amen. That's right. <laughs> Amen. Now, I know it's a sensitive area in education, but were you able to share your faith with students or parents along the way?
2: I was. Um the area where I grew up in is a, a pretty um Catholic dominated area. And so um I shared a lot about like I I mentioned, you know if I knew that that family was a family who went to church on a regular basis or who, who professed Christianity of some style, um, I would talk to them about the fact that I prayed and, and many times, um, the families talked about it themselves that are in the book. You know, um, my heart was broken into a million pieces when my child was diagnosed, but God has taken every one of those pieces and put them back together in a more beautiful way than I could have ever expected. Mm-hmm. It's almost verbatim of one of the families in the book. Amen. Um Amen. and and so yeah, I would often talk to my families about, you know, that I'm praying for your child, that um, you know, do you have a church that you go to? Come to my church. Um, you, you know, it, as much as I felt led to do, I yeah, was able yeah. to do. And I, and I think that's because it's a it's um, you know, here in the Midwest, we tend to be a lot more church going counties and people than other parts of the world, I think. Yeah. Amen. I apologize if I'm wrong. I'm not trying to to <laughs> offend or say that you know other people aren't that way, but I I mean we're called the Bible Belt for a reason. That's so right. <laughs>
1: amen. Amen. Oh you also host your own podcast. It's on Facebook and YouTube called hashtag mm-hmm. no limits. Share a little bit about yeah. your program with us.
2: Yeah. So it's it's sort of stemmed from the book. Um the idea of, the the tagline is, I interview people who society has placed limits upon, but who have busted through those limits. Um, Ophelia says in Hamlet, we know who we are, but not who we will be. And I believe that a 100% because I saw my students live that out yearly, daily. And so after writing the, the book was in the editing phase, so I, my part was pretty much done and the pandemic hit. And I thought, okay, well, now how do I get my name out there and keep my name out there? What am I going to do? And I thought, you know, I want to tell more stories than what are in the book. And so um, in June or July of 2020, I interviewed the first person, and he was a college basketball, university basketball player. Um, I don't re- I think it's a, a two, what do they call it? Division two um, school. And he was missing part of one of his arms. Mm. And I thought, now there's a story I want to tell. And he was, he was keeping up. I mean, they weren't giving him any special treatment whatsoever. And he was doing everything and it just so happened to be in the same college that my daughter attended at the time. And um, so I, I asked him if I could interview him. I said, I would love to tell your story. And so we did that. And then I thought, oh, well, you know, hey, I, I'm not terrible at this. The first ones definitely are not as good as the later ones. <laughs> but yep. it was yep. it was a learning curve for sure. Yeah. Um yep. I, I did a lot of reading of my questions in those early phases, but now it's just a conversation like you and I are having today. Um but yeah, I've I've had I've learned so much more than what I already knew. And my world has been, I, I realized my own biases about things. I interviewed um a blind hockey team a blind baseball team. I never thought either of those sports could be played by someone who was legally blind. And, you know, it's, it's amazing that things that are out there. And I love that my own biases get recognized because oftentimes we don't know that we have them until they're challenged. Mm -hmm. And so having this, having the podcast being able to talk with these individuals, and I also talk with teachers who are doing great things and helping students bust through limits i've talked with companies organizations individuals um because i realized these children these people haven't busted through those limits all on their own they had support people around them and so i felt like that was important as well to bring those companies and those people on and talk to them
1: amen shelly this has been so interesting how can someone order a copy of your book you said it's on amazon correct
2: it is on Amazon. I've recently redone the back cover, um, and I'm still trying to get Amazon to get the new back cover up there, but, um, they can go to Amazon pretty much anywhere books are sold, um, walmart.com, barnesandnoble.com, or they can go to my website, which is, um, www.shelly, S-H-E-L-L-E-Y, Kino, dot com. and you can get an autographed version of it. Um, it's a little bit more expensive when you order it with me because I have to ship it. And a lot of that's included, you know, big companies, they don't have those expenses as much as I do, (laughs) but um, you have to order it. It's not, I've never seen it on a shelf in a bookstore, Um, but any, your Barnes and Noble, any of your kind of big bookstores, it's accessible to them. It just has to be ordered.
1: Amen. So someone wanted to reach out to you again for more information or ask a question, maybe even do an interview like this. Give us that contact information one more time. How can they get in touch with you?
2: Yeah, the easiest way is just to go to my website, s h e l l e y k e n o w. dot com, And on my website, there'll be a free consult button, and there's also a link to click to get to my email.
1: Amen. Amen. I'll put links to all this in the show notes below. Folks, you may or may not have a special needs child. Whether you do or not really doesn't matter because I know you know someone who does. Amen. You need to drop down the show notes and reach out to Shelly right now. You need to be sure to order a copy of her book, Those Who Can't Teach, right now. In fact, I'd order two or three copies and share them with those that you know. Order a copy. Take it to your school. Mm -hmm. Give it and sew it to the special needs teacher at your child's school. I mean, they'll be eternally grateful for you. Amen. Drop down the show notes. Click the link right there. Shelly, thank you again for coming on the program today and sharing about all that you're doing about this great book. I do appreciate your time. Absolutely.
2: It was my pleasure.
1: Amen. Folks, that's all the time we have for today. For Shelly Cano and myself, it's passed about reminding you to be blessed in all that you do.
0: Thank you for listening to today's episode of the Kingdom Crossroads podcast. Please subscribe to our podcast so you can be notified when another episode is published.